Trees dropping at the movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about all the Rocky films. Yes, the Rocky series. Yes, including because, Creed. Because I find them absolutely fascinating. I mean, I was thinking, you know, you could do a whole module just on race in the Rocky films, really. I think you could also do a whole module on post-classical Hollywood cinema. You know, the first film begins in 1976, right, right in the middle of the Hollywood Renaissance and so on. And then, kind of by the mid-80s, the Rocky films become like the archetypal high-concepts film, right? And then, actually, the, you know, the Ryan uh, Coogler, mm-hmm. uh, Creed, it's almost like, a, um, it's almost like an auteur indie-ish film, yeah? Mm-hmm. You know, in a different context where, you know, so many of the big studio productions are comic book films. This is a film about <laughs> character and people and race and... You know, mm-hmm. so um, so I find them all very interesting. I also found absolutely fascinating the way that the films create their own mythos, right? That every film... So at, at the beginning, you know, the ending of Rocky 1 is the beginning of Rocky 2. Mm-hmm. The ending of Rocky 3 is the opening, you know, minutes. Of, yeah, the, yeah, the first five films... You could watch in a row because they all every subsequent film starts with literally the last scene yeah. of the first film. I mean that's fascinating, and then they also have, well, they have training montages. <laughs> you know, they have montages about the fitness and you know the building up to the fight. They have the fight itself always at the end, and the films have this interesting structure where it's almost like the first hour is about the resolution of some dilemma. So you know, in Rocky Two is. He spends his money, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and then has to go back in the ring, right? Uh, yeah. So the first half hour is about some interpersonal dilemma uh, issue. The second one is the build-up to the fight and the fight itself. And the other thing that I found absolutely fascinating for the series as a whole is that they have these memory montages, mm. yeah, that there's always like a three or four minute montage which you know, the, the character remembers or... yeah. I think three or four minutes might be overdoing it. Okay, so... I think, I think you tend to... Okay, <laughs> they feel like, like three or four minutes. They're <laughs> significant. And very often, they, they happen like during the course of the film sometimes, but they also happen very often during the final fight where Rocky takes a punch. Yeah. And Creed it happens to as well. Creed takes a big punch and he's knocked down and then in getting up, everything flashes before his eyes. Yes. And that gets him up. Yes. Yeah. I also found fascinating the way not all films in the series, but some of them are almost like a marker for a reading of American society at a particular point. Yeah, so mm. I think the first Rocky with its bicentennial setting is one of them. Is it the third Rocky, the one with Drago? Fourth is with Drago. The fourth. You know, it's like Reaganite America mm-hmm. at its most extreme that that film signifies. 1985, you know? that one came out. Yeah, so, you know, so so there are kind of, you know, particular films that, that almost ask for a social reading. You know? <laughs> well, this was America at this point, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I found, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating series with very few good films. I would say. Yeah, so when I was watching them, I did the first two, and then I did three, four, five, 
Balboa and the first half of Creed in one day, yes. basically. Um, and that was a rough, that was a rocky ride, um, <laughs> which ended up with two, with two I'd seen before that that I think are my two favourites, Balboa and Creed. Um, but <laughs> but those other three, three, four, and five are rough going. They are. Um, they're not good films. They are entertaining and they kept me going. It's not like I got bored really at any point. I think I maybe tune out in a bit of three, maybe. I think that might be my least favourite. Um, four is as you've been saying just five MTV music videos strung together mm. and what's going on with the portrayal of Russia and the, the contrast between Drago training with you know science and machines and then you've just got Rocky chopping wood and stuff. They're ridiculous but quite good fun. Um, five, I actually didn't mind. I saw, I think you and other, others were saying on Facebook that that's clearly the worst. Um, and I actually rather liked its return to the kind of squalor of Philadelphia, that that was working for me, I must say, in a, in a kind of... We said in the first podcast on Rocky 1, just on Rocky 1, that that film has uh, such a sense of place. And that returns to that sense of place, I think. Yeah, but it's so um, crude. Yes. Um, so, yeah, as you say, I think they're all watchable. But actually, and again, some people are going to be offended by me describing it in this way, when you say it's always entertaining, it's always entertaining the way the television is. And actually, it's worth thinking of the series in relation to television because I've heard Rocky in interviews saying, well, you know, people were always like offended by the idea of making a sequel, you know, and my thinking was, well, why? You know, kind of people love these characters. They return to them all the time. You just have to look at any television series, right? So, so what's wrong with doing kind of these films as a series? And, you know, fair enough. But when you have the money and the resources, you know, to make a film... And you end up doing like the equivalent of a bad Columbo episode. Mm. Well, what struck me issue. is how they turned <laughs> into a soap opera. Um, so you know, the first one is quite subtle and it's quite sweet, and and it has this view of Philadelphia and of life and this kind of portrait of working class immigrant life. And the second one, it turned into a soap opera almost immediately. So I knew at some point Adrian was going to die because she's not in Rocky Balboa. Yeah. But I couldn't remember. I, I remember how she died. It is mentioned that she died of cancer. But it meant that basically through the first five films, I'm going, oh, at some point she must die. Mm. And I thought when she goes into the coma in Rocky Two, I, I thought, God, they're going to do it that dirty. She's going to die that early on. You know, and of course she does not when she pulls out of it. But I thought, like, this is such a soap opera thing, right? She, you know, they have this relationship. He's spending money he doesn't have. They have to do the fight. She goes into a coma. Oh, like the high drama of it. Such a world apart from what happened in the first film. And then it just goes on and on and on with just more and more. Like, and actually... Um, what we're saying about how each film begins with the end of the previous one, like it just turns, it, it just turns these things into this just long string of just the next thing that happened in Rocky's life, mm. and that's what it becomes about, you know. It becomes about, and then this happened, and then this, and then this, and it's just keeping up. It's like, um, it is like a soap opera when you like, you know, the magazines about soap operas mm. that are all about, you know, is so and so going to die? Is so and so going to reveal that they had so and so's baby? Rocky has a lot of that in the middle five you know, films. I mean, I want to pick up on two points here. First, this thing about the death of Adrian. And secondly, I want to talk about soap opera. So, but I think it's a sign of Stallone's extraordinary narcissism in the series, right? You know, which manifests itself in all of those shots of him 
you know, his body and his changing body and, you know, kind of the clothes he... I mean, you know, he's he's also like a peacocky Italian in that he likes to look good. Mm. Yeah, bella figura, <laughs> whatever. But my God, he takes it to extremes, right? But actually, but that's okay. You can take a little pleasure in that. It doesn't hurt anybody. But I thought the the way that the film treated Adrian from the first film onwards is a problem. And to not give that character, which is absolutely central to the series, the weight of its death. Because yeah, you never see her die. You never see her problems. You know, you, yeah? It's almost like, you know, you're told she's dead. And then he goes to talk to her every day at the, you know, at the cemetery, right? So, so it's about him expressing his hurt, not about her dying. And, and actually, we're not shown her death, I don't think. No. You know? And I think that's terrible to deny such a central character in the series their death. I mean, think of Apollo Creed, you know, how, mm. yeah. Um, so, so there's a kind of a misogyny, I think, actually, in denying the viewer that death, particularly if, as we've talked about in the first film, yeah, they complete each other. They're part of the same thing. I mean, you know, it's about him. Yeah, but she's absolutely central to the meaning of of the first film so to to deny us her death I think is a terrible thing that the film omits I don't agree with that I um, think I, I I mean you've got to bear in mind it's it's 16 years between Rocky Five and Rocky Balboa which that you know they're filling in this 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 time period and what we were talking about in that first podcast about that sense of loneliness that I was not feeling uh, towards Rocky or about Rocky um, it's I completely get that in Balboa. It's a film that's about the process of mourning. I get that very grieving, much, and I feel the the hole that Adrian's left in his life. I I didn't feel uh, that it was it was a lack in the film that we didn't see Adrian's death. We're back to Rocky trying to get on with it. I well, two things. It's true that uh, it you know you see him mourning and so on, but it's about his mourning. It's not about her death, you know. And I do think that um, that it's, it's, it's kind of a shabby treatment of a major character, actually. Um, she's next to him, arguably the most important character in the film, perhaps next to Apollo Creed in that you know first part of the series. And you know, all of the other characters are given deaths, declines and deaths, except her. Mm. So I think it is a real lack. And he does obviously make it about him. It is about his mourning. The whole film is imbued with that sadness of her passing. Yeah. But I would have liked a scene. You know, I would have liked it. Yeah. Mm. To be about her and their family. I mean, so so I think, well, to me, that's a problem. And actually, it's related to the second point I wanted to make, which is, you know, the soap opera elements. Because what I really liked about the first film was that it was melodramatic, yeah, that it was it was melodrama, mm. you know? And I really love melodrama, and I suppose when we talk about soap opera, we talk about failed me- melodrama, yeah, kind of. And so I think that might be something worth exploring, you know, kind of, why does the film succeed on equally melodramatic terms, yeah, that the other films feel thin, yeah, mm. that they, they seem sutsy because they don't give you a rationale for the feeling, yeah. Mm. But I think it's like the storytelling in, in the subsequent films is more sketchy. Yes. Literally sketchy, like it is thin. Yes. And it's about 
it's so much of it is about just the plot development and the feeling that you got in the first film um, about how that affected characters' feelings and their feeling towards each other and their relationships is less of a concern as the series goes on. Yeah. Um, to the point where, as you say, like the high concept of, of number four is it becomes just America versus Russia. It's not about the people anymore. Yeah. It's very interesting, actually, because, you know, the first film introduces us to a whole set of characters that, you know, will continue for many films. Uh, we talked about how so many of the scenes were iconic, yeah, and they were partly iconic visually, but partly also because of feelings attached to them. And actually, when I think back of almost the whole of the other five films, there's no new character except Dra- Drago, yeah, who will continue. Clubber Lang. Who's he? He's the Mr. T character. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm not saying... I'm oh, sorry, I phrased that badly. It's not that there are no new characters, but that there are no new characters that have a weight in the series as a whole. Right, yeah? okay. Uh, uh, and, you know, again, also, no... no um, if you think there's five films afterwards, or yeah, and you get well, th- the scene with the chair in the tree at the cemetery that becomes mm-hmm. something, you know, Drago returns, and then that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go back to Mickey's gym. I mean, it's a film. It's a series that's very interested in its own past. Yes, and interested in it, as you say, it's its mythos, and that's from early on, like you say, ending with. The, the or starting with the scene from the film before is like you know remember this let's go on yeah. and then it becomes actually with those memory montages it's this question of everything that we've done everything that we have and in Rocky Balboa when he's early on he's mourning and he uh, is it the anniversary of of her death or is it her birthday it's some important day I forget which but that's why he's visiting the grave mm. um, and he's there with Paulie and Paulie would rather forget because mm. he didn't treat his sister very well um, but they're going around the city and they're visiting all these old places. They go to the ice rink, which is now demolished. And, yes. uh, they go to Rocky's old house where he sees he sees a ghostly figure of her and yes. she vanishes. You know, which is obviously like, this is stuff that when I first saw Rocky Balboa, not having the context of the previous films, I would have sort of got, oh yeah, he's remembering his past, but wouldn't have meant much to me. Yeah. Now it means a lot more. Um, the bar, the gym... They all actually Marie of... meeting little Marie, who's the girl who he told to stop hanging out with the yeah. pricks in the first film. And she said, "What did you say, some creepo? Um, screw you, creepo! Screw you, creepo! Yeah, you know." And then that that comes back up in this. She doesn't remember saying it, but he remembers it. It's yeah. a good insult, and it hurts. It's so interested in its own past. I suppose it's audience pleasing, right? Like it, it, is. it rewards the audience's investment in the series. Absolutely, and actually, I think the you know the series is very interesting. To talk about in terms of seriality, because I mean, this is the period where you know you have Jaws and then Jaws 2, Jaws 3, Jaws 4, and then Star Wars will come out, you know, Star Wars 1, blah, endless to mm-hmm. the present. The Superman films are introduced at this time, right? So, you know, how does the film manage, yeah, to be a series, yeah, and to engage the audience with, you know, their own memories of past pleasures? Yeah, in relation to the series. I actually think that the film does that quite well. Yeah, mm. I kind of, you know, I, I can imagine kind of people's pleasures in remembering their pleasures in, you know, kind of those sequences when, yeah, in those memory montages or the revisiting that you're talking about mm. in Rocky Balboa. But the point remains to me that the first film kind of sets up the root vocabulary for the whole series, which is not in itself a problem, you know, because... 
that is also the function of mm. you know, first films like that. Though I, you know, I don't imagine that it was conceptualized as a series. Uh, but nonetheless, it's good that, yeah. But, you know, five films later and no new characters, no new settings, mm. yeah, kind of, it's not as if film five reworks the settings in the same iconic way in, in the films of three or four. No, they always go back to the one and, you mm. know. So I think it's a failure, it signals how bad or, you know, the relative failure of those films that all of the memories invested in it and all that remains iconic is largely due to the first film. Mm. Yeah, as I said, there are exceptions. Yeah, characters are introduced that then reappear, but very few of them. I mean, yeah, the one thing that really comes back from the, from like films two to five is Ivan Drago and Apollo's death because they, they come back in Creed and Creed 2 where Creed's son didn't know his dad. He's a son from an affair. This is what the film gives you. Mm. And... In Creed, he goes to Rocky's uh, restaurant, Adrian's, and he's looking at the wall and he talks about the past and then he reveals that he, who he is, and he convinces Rocky of it because he knows this past. He knows about this secret third fight that we've seen in uh, the end of Rocky 2. But we also don't see who won it. So that is a real revelation. That's true. And then obviously in Creed 2, it comes back very strongly with Drago because it becomes the fathers and the sons kind of matching up in a sense. Um, obviously, Apollo's not there to be uh, Adonis's dad, mm. but Rocky is, mm. and that's the first film I mentioned to you—the first film where someone, where they don't carry on the fight. Like throughout the films, every time the trainer says, "We've got to stop the fight," you're getting mashed. The boxer always says, "No, no, carry on. I want to fight this guy," and they do. Yes. The boxers, the trainers don't listen. They don't do their jobs. <laughs> if they just would do their jobs, and actually, when Drago throws in the towel, I mean, it took them eight films for someone to do that. Yes. Um, I love seeing uh, Drago in the Creed 2. You know, I, I love seeing Dolph Lundgren, you know, kind of still looking very handsome, but actually being able to act as well. Len, let's move the discussion there, because I actually think, you know, that, uh, you know, one of the things that is so fascinating about the series is then how, you know, things get turned around. So if the question of race um, is bubbling under the surface of all the first uh, Rocky films, you know, then even though I think Creed and Creed 2 are not really about race, they definitely re-inflect mm. all of that um, stuff. And it really kind of made me think of, um, you know, it's a wonderful piece by Richard Dyer, yeah, where he argues that, like, uh, you know, he's not for a tourism, he doesn't consider himself a tourist. But that, you know, he thinks it's very, who makes movies is very important. And you see that, yeah, in uh, Creed and Creed 2. Yeah, they're made by black filmmakers. The way that the filmmakers are lit are completely different. You know, there are all kinds of cultural references that are completely different. Yeah, uh, the music is completely different. And it's all, it's all much, much better, <laughs> you know, than in most of the Rocky films. And the other thing is that Ryan Coogler... And I forget who the director of Creed 2 is. Stephen Capel Jr. Stephen Ka- They're real filmmakers in a way that Sylvester Stallone, who directed most of the others. Yeah, most of the Rocky series is John G. Alvidson, who did the first one, and, and Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, John G. Alvidson did number five as well. As well, yeah. Um, you know, they are nowhere near the filmmakers that uh, Stephen Capel and Ryan Coogler are. 
you know, kind of the films are a pleasure to see. Mm. You know, you get a sense of mise-en-scene, like, you know, if there's a composition, it's used to signify something rather than like, you know, with Alvaldson who doesn't know where the fuck to put the camera, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so, yeah, I think vastly, to me... Most actually, of the actors, I'd say, are also not a match for Michael B. Jordan and Tessa Thompson in them as well. Actually, I think Sylvester Stone gives his best performances outside of Rocky One in these last... Oh, without three. a doubt, you know. Um, like he ups his game in them, I suppose. Yeah, he does. Um, but but those, those two, Jordan and Thompson, bring so much quality. Yeah. <laughs> and so much ability and heart and, and, you know, maybe I'm speaking too ill of the previous actors, but, but they're much simpler performances you get in those middle films. Yeah, they're great. And much simpler... Much simpler uh, um, conceptualization of characters as well. It's not all the actors' fault, really. No. Um, they are more complex. These last. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Burt Young and Burgess Meredith and Talia Shire are fantastic in the first one. Right afterwards, mm. it's like the films are like a, a a piss take on the audience in a way. You know. So on the one hand, you want to give them what they want. It's all about pleasing the audience. Mm. But on the other hand, you're really shortchanging them by just giving them fast food junky. <laughs> you know, crap stuff, really. Um, And the Creed films completely shift the orbit, you know, it's like on a completely different scale to to those films. I think Creed 2 is a kind of masterpiece, actually. You know, I mean, I'd have to look at it more. Creed 2, really? Sorry, Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I was thinking about Creed 2, like, uh, if Creed 2 is a crummy Creed movie, then it's so much better than the Rockies are as a crummy Rocky movies. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think Creep 2 is crummy. I really liked it, actually. I think it's very good. It's just, you know... Yeah, but it's like in comparison to the first one. Like, yeah. Rocky, great, and the, and the sequel's not so great. Creed, great, the sequel, eh. I think the but sequel, still very good. It's very good. And but actually... Do, but, do, but don't you think it goes into some of that soap opera stuff that I was talking about with the with the, the Rockies, where it becomes a little bit about, oh, the development of the family and, the, and they become a little bit hard, the thing with the baby and where we're moving and... I mean yes and to be honest the thing with the baby I mean I also thought that was a cheap mm-hmm. yeah that it's trying to pull on your heartstrings, and also um, just completely unbelievable I mean I think nowadays for me it would be hard to imagine you know uh, somebody who was crumpled the way they were at their daughter being deaf right like you know okay she's deaf it's unfortunate you know, you should learn sign language. Yeah, like, you know, I mean, kind of, you know, the idea that he might not love the baby because it's deaf. I mean... Uh, Was that an idea in the film? He might not love the baby. Yes, I think uh, Stallone asks that question. You'll mm. love her anyway or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and he was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the film posits the question. Sure. You know, because actually the deafness that it might be inherited, you know, it's such an issue. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas, you know, I thought that was, that was a cheap, almost non-issue, right? Like, I mean, if they'd lost the baby, you know, if the baby had to be institutionalized, like, you know, if it was, uh, um, mm. brain damage or something, you know, too, I could imagine that as being like, yeah, cause you'd have to give it up and yeah. So that would be something, but, and don't get me wrong. I don't think being deaf is like a gift. But you know, it's not uh, it's not the end of the world, yeah. Like kind of, you know. no, sure. But I mean, I can certainly sympathise with a parent worrying about you know their kid. Uh, I know, worried, yes. Being emotionally crumpled, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> so, so I thought that was cheap. Um, 
Um, but in the second one, what I the second creed, what I noticed was the use of music, you know, mm-hmm. and so there's 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 um, soul and there's blues, and actually the blues kind of got got to me, right? Yeah. You know, yeah, because blues always evokes oppression to yeah. me. Yeah, so you always think of you know slaves in the fields or people working in a chain gang or <laughs> yeah of kind of life you know kind of being limited and harsh and cruel you know mm. because of who you are right it kind of it evokes a particular kind of experience in america you know um and the mixture yeah so the you know the hip hop and the rap and yeah kind of you know um it it specifies a particular context yeah in a way that kind of is very different than the other films yeah well you were mentioning right at the start one of the first things you see in Rocky um, after he's had his initial fight that opens the film when he's walking home he sees the barbershop yeah it's like group. Jersey Boys yeah it's about just hanging around on the street corner harmonising yeah and you know the film starts off with that and you're saying that harks back to like the 60s yeah really which is 10 years before, before or, or even longer yeah, yeah. Um, and then you actually go through, you go through like the power ballad era in the 1980s yes. and the MTV thing. And I was saying how, um, you know, there, there are songs in the montages in Rocky four that are literally narrating what's happening on screen. Yes. It was ridiculous. Yes. Like a joke. Um, and yet somehow they're also pop songs that like have been written for the film and they're so specifically tied to the image and yet they're. And yet there's so much about selling the soundtrack. Yeah, selling singles. But then you get to Creed, um, that's when rap and hip-hop starts coming in. And there's a great bit where he's training, I think it's in the montage where he's training with Rocky for the first time. Rocky's decided to take him on um, and get back into boxing. And the music is, it has like a country vibe underneath, but then uh, a rap or hip-hop beat comes on top and then rap. Mm. Starts on top of that, and so and you really get this feeling of the combination of Rocky and Creed in the soundtrack at that point. I yes. thought that was nice. I mean, one of the reasons why I really like Creed too is because it's so much about paternity, and everybody is afforded that paternity. So it's about the reconciliation of fathers and sons, right? So you know, Rocky goes back to his son at the end, yeah, mm. and reintroduces himself to his son and meets his grandson. And then, of course, the whole thing with Drago and his son, yeah, that kind of, you know, there's also like a real tenderness in that at the end. And, yeah, and then there's the thing about, you know, Michael B. Jordan having a baby, right? Mm. And the film is imbued with lovely images of, you know, like, uh, it's almost like that poster in the, I forget the famous 80s poster of the man holding the baby, right? That you have Michael B. Jordan with his child and it's beautifully lit and, you know, it kind of, uh, uh, it looks fantastic. Um, but Dolph is given a character and is given a story, yeah, and mm-hmm. one that you know brings in his past, but also makes the focus on his relationship with his son, mm-hmm. yeah, and what it means to win or not win, and yeah, and how that affects them, yeah, their own relationship. So you know, it's given a much rounder, richer, you know, playing area than anything afforded in so many of the earlier films. Um, so I like that very much about uh, Creed Two. Mm. Do you think it was it returned to some quite simple ground with the portrayal of Russia? Yes and no, because the thing is they weren't allowed to be in Russia; they had been exiled to the Ukraine, right? So mm. all of that stuff is facile, yeah. 
uh, as indeed is the reintroduction of the Bridget Nielsen character and so on. But then the relationship between the father and son, you know, those moments where, you know, uh, it's all about getting revenge for him. And then the film shifts gears and actually it becomes about a father's feelings for his son. Mm. Yeah, in trouble. Yeah. And him throwing in the towel. I thought all of that was really moving and rich. Mm. Bit EastEnders for me, that. Um, well, I think part of the reason why it's not East Endery for me is so the difference in quality of the films, you know, between this and the uh, the Rocky later ones, is you can see how these rhymes of themes are built into the structure. Drago finally being aware of his son as a human and protecting him, yeah, then rhymes with Rocky. Yeah, going to find his son, mm. and yeah, kind of, kind of. There's a structure in which there are rhymes and resonance, yeah, that unfold throughout the structure. Whereas, like you know, in the other films, you feel it's like slapdash. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I think the best film is Creed. I mean, undoubtedly, but my favorite is Rocky Balboa, and maybe that's because I saw it first. But um, what we mentioned in the previous podcast about Sylvester Stallone's earnestness mm. and lack of irony I think is at its strongest there mm. and um, it's at its most effective there so like I say it's a film about mourning and it's a film that takes the process of mourning seriously and you feel you know the, the depth of Rocky's loss yes and when it gets and so the, the idea of the film is that this um, simulated fight between Rocky and the current world champion who's this guy called Mason Dixon uh, that happens on TV and Rocky wins the simulated fight and it becomes a bit of a talking point around and Dixon's people come to Rocky saying, let's actually put this on for real. And so the story becomes about kind of getting getting back in the ring and, you know, what am I doing with my life and is there unfinished business here and all this kind of thing. And there is such a deep earnestness to all of that and there are so many motivational speeches given, mm. <laughs> not just by Rocky, who gives some of them, but his son... And uh, Marie, the, the girl who he reconnects mm. with, I, f- I actually find it really, really beautiful and very moving to the point where, where at the end, uh, that, it's the fight I like the most out of all the films. Mm. I think part of the reason that I think it's the best fight is that it's the best filmed um, because it really leans in to a TV aesthetic. It looks like an HBO fight. It's got HBO all over it. Mm. It's filmed with TV angles or it cuts into... Uh, cinematic angles as well and, it's, and at one point it kind of drops out colour and slow-mo and so it becomes a real cinema fight um, but it really leans into kind of on-screen graphics uh, you know it's in a casino you feel the scale of all the people there and all this um, but what I said about Rocky 1 where this idea of going the distance comes in and it comes in just before the fight really it's not this thing that's been there the whole time just this idea of I'm not going to be able to beat Apollo Creed but can I last the distance no one else ever has that becomes this thing here because Rocky is old mm. and you know this guy's young and he's the world champion you're never going to beat him but can I last the distance and it's, a, it's an idea that is much stronger throughout the course of the film than it was in Rocky 1 that's a big part in the fight because it's just, you know, can I keep going through these rounds? Can I keep taking all these punches? And there's this line about, it's not about how hard you can hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep going. Yes. It's a line that I really loved where he's talking to his son. That comes back in voiceover, in a, in a, mem- in a remembered voiceover. In, the fight. <laughs> um, in you know, and, and remembered voiceover. <laughs> uh, in one of his memories. 
But I think one of the things that really, really works about that film is how Stallone ages. So you've been talking about how his body becomes this, yes. this, this ridiculous thing in the 80s that's not a, a, a boxer's body, it's a bodybuilder's body and so on. And in 2006, when Rocky Balboa comes out, it's a body that's been ravaged by time. It's still a big, you know, he obviously works out ridiculously, but he's aged. ravaged by time and steroids. Yeah. <laughs> because you can see all the veins, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a film that's about mourning and, and what are you going to do with your life and so on, but it's, it's about aging, and his aging is physical as well as uh, kind of what he does in his life. And that's one of the reasons I think uh, he's so endearing in this one. As we've said, he wants to be endearing all the time. And one of the reasons that he's so endearing in this one is how he ages. He, it, it brings the character back down to earth where he's been this ridiculous, unrealistic thing in the 80s. You know, he, he's still a Hulk, he's still huge, but he's covered in wrinkles and veins and he's broken, mm. you know. And um, yeah, he ages kind of gracefully. And it's a point where in Creed, he gets cancer, he starts losing his hair. Mm. You know, the film really kind of, kind of puts him through the mill. That's something, I think that might be one of the central things I like about these latter three films, that the character returns to a kind of normality and he's humbled a bit by that ageing process. And it doesn't really shy away from showing you that, right? He does not look good when he's losing his hair. No. I mean, I think, so you were talking about Sutsi and I was talking about melodrama. And one of the things about the Rocky series as a whole and one of the things that I think moves me about it is that it really deals with the essential issues in life. Yeah, which is, you know, about falling in love and building our relationships and, you know, trying to get by and winning and losing and, you know, having children and relationships with children. And so, you know, it's not about what superpower you have and how you're going to be the villain from the next galaxy. Though you could argue that those films, you know, <laughs> also have relatable themes but these are really core yeah mm. kind of i mean even myself as a gay man who's never you know kind of uh wanted children and so on yeah those things resonate you can see how they are absolutely kind of essential yeah to 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 people in general and the culture and the film treats deals with them i think with some sensitivity actually yeah mm. like and certainly the film uh doesn't ironize them it treats them as important it kind of finds you know, imaginary resolutions to what are real contradictions, you know, that, you know, kind of uh, uh, separations or ways of thinking of between, you know, fathers and sons or things like that, yeah? I think that's one of the, the, the strengths of the series. It touches on things that other people can connect to. And it doesn't cheat on them, yeah? Like, it might not be the most complex kind of dramatization of the issue, mm. but it's nevertheless kind of taken very seriously and there's an engagement with the audience on that issue. Mm. And, and I think that's why they end up being moving. Yeah, you know, death, the death of a loved one and how to rebuild your life. And I mean, those are kind of issues that everybody sooner or later faces, really. Mm. Yeah. And even Sylvester Sloan's have to. And that's actually one of the reasons that that when we saw Rambo Last Blood, it was such a letdown because in Rocky Balboa and Creed, I'd seen what he was capable of doing in terms of taking something seriously, showing you the, the advancement of the character, how sensitive he was capable of being, Stallone, which Last Blood is just, you know... It, it, it's just garbage. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's worth mentioning that Stallone 
co-wrote the screenplay for both Creed films as well. Yeah. Uh, was he? Was he? I'm not sure he did on the last one. I think he did, but check it. I know that on Creed he wrote everything that his character was involved with. I'm not sure he was involved in the rest of it, but um. he was definitely in charge of the Rocky bits. And his, his dialogue. Well, he, I just saw him credited as co-screenwriter, or, or, yeah, I think in Creed 2 with two other people. Uh, it looks like it's the same thing with Creed 2, where Rocky was involved, Stallone was involved, but yeah. maybe not with the rest of it. Okay. Well, that, you know, that's to the film's benefit. Uh, and obviously it indicates that at least he had control over, mm. you know, his character. And I'm sure... Uh, other elements of the film. Yeah, I mean, he's like the gatekeeper of that whole story. Mythos. Yeah. What was your favourite fight? The one in the second Creed. With um, the younger... With the Dolph Lundgren. And, I'm, you know, I hope it's not just because it's the most recent one I saw and therefore the most memorable. You know, there was that thing with the trick of hitting the chest. Yeah, that completely disabled him. Mm. Yeah. And then kind of how that was reprised in the, in the last one. I really like that. Though I must say, I think... Um, I'm not much of a boxing fan, and I was very engaged with it, with all of them. So if one posits Raging Bull, Raging Bull had fantastically visualized boxing fights. Mm. Yeah, and some of them you just feel like this aesthetic pleasure in watching how they are filmed, right? Mm. But they're not narrated in the same way. You're not emotionally involved in the fight in the same way that you are in these films. So I like that, you know, kind of pretty much in all of them. But I think, um, yeah, I like the I like the Creed ones best. I, I I'm not a huge boxing fan either. Though I have uh, watched a few fights and I paid for some even on pay per view. I paid for that stupid fight between Floyd Mayweather and um, Conor McGregor. Is it the the MMA guy? Mm-hmm. Ridiculous fucking stupid fight. Um, <laughs> but what I can tell you for, for sure, uh-huh. even as someone who's not a fight fan, is that. Rocky Balboa and Creed ruined boxing in the at the end of those films there's just that they kind of embrace mm. and they say you're a great fighter you're a great fighter you're a great champion and blah mm. blah, blah and you, you're a real Creed he says at the end because it's about proving that he mm. has can, can live up to his dad's name and so on that goes on in them and that happens in real boxing like it starts to happen where at the end of the Mayweather fight for instance the Mayweather McGregor fight it was you know they hug and embrace it's like it's a fucking joke clown fight that was and they're doing the movie endings in real life. I like that. Sweet. Oh, I hate that. I think in, <laughs> in the films it's one thing. In the films it's one thing, but in real life, I want I want people to hate each other. They have to hurt each other. Well, you know what's missing in the films that you get in other boxing films. Yeah. And I think it's a real failure. Uh, well, failure. I mean, it's, I just think these are not quite boxing films. Uh, and the reason why is because what they lack is rage. <laughs> Right, I mean, what makes a person want to go out and kill somebody? Yeah, you know, like and um, beat someone to a pulp. It's a kind of rage that propels them. Yeah. Right, and you know, kind of the boxing films metaphorized um, makes a metaphor of it. You know, by making it about capitalism. These are downtrodden, oppressed people who've been brutally treated by the society, or whose parents got killed, like in Body and Soul, or you know, something drives them. Right, and usually it's poverty and oppression that gives them this rage, right? You know, and this, these films have no rage. I think Creed does. I think you see rage in Donnie and Creed. Yeah, and that's true. Um, that's... But that's an exception, I think, to the rest of it. Yeah. And actually, and I suppose you see rage in, in Drago's son as well, in Creed 2, actually. Yes. Because he's fighting for his dad. And, and, and actually, the bit I like the most in that about that 
uh, was um, when they're they're reinvited to Russia, mm. um, and they have that kind of dinner, and Bridget Nielsen shows up and all, and they and they go out, and the son says, "These people didn't want us; they threw us away. Why are we here?" No. Now I, I, I felt that like, yeah, man, you're right. Um, That's why the Creed films are better than the other Rocky films. Because <laughs> there's rage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Though, the absence of rage is what made the first Rocky special. So, there's that. Mm. Um, but anyway, we should maybe wrap up here. So, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, highly recommend watching the series. I mean, I hate, I hate recommending it in a way because there are so many crap films. But actually, watching them all together is a real experience. And I think it's one that you're, if you're attentive, it'll teach you very much about cinema and very much about U.S. culture. All right. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website where you can find all 270-something mm. so far of our podcasts is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Good. I'm going to make a sandwich now. Say thank you very much. Oh. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, you want a sandwich?